from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio Music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow The Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. On this episode of Newt's World, it's time to get tough on a ramp. And I'm delighted to welcome my guest, somebody I've known for many years, who has been one of the most balanced, nonpartisan, straight shooting foreign policy experts in Washington. Cliff May is the founder and president of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, which is a nonpartisan policy institute focusing on national security, created immediately after the 9 11 attacks in the United States. Under Cliff's leadership, the Foundation for the Events of Democracies has become one of the nation's most highly regarded think tanks and a sought-after voice on a remarkably wide range of national security issues. Let's start, Cliff, uh, with your own personal background, why you founded the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. Thanks for having me on. As you well know, I'm kind of a recovering journalist. I spent many, many years as a foreign correspondent, a Washington correspondent for the New York Times, which was once upon a time a great newspaper. I don't like the state it's in now, and other media organizations. As you mentioned, FDD, I got it started just after the attacks of 9-11-01. I'll just mention this interesting thing. The idea for it came about earlier in conversations I had with people you knew and will remember, my young interns generally don't, Jack Kemp and Gene Kirkpatrick. And I knew them from my reporting career at the New York Times. And I actually had a conversation with them before the attacks of 9-11. 
because they took the point of view, and as discussed with me, that America seems to be taking a holiday from history, a premature peace dividend, when we still have enemies out there. Who hit us in Lebanon in the 80s? Who hit us in 1993 in New York City? Who's hitting the Israelis on a regular basis? What are these organizations that call themselves jihadists and Islamists? And we talked about the need not to let down America's defenses. Then 9-11 happened, and then, of course, it became very clear that we had enemies that were serious, that had not been understood by the intelligence community, the news media, by academia. And it was on that basis that I was able somehow or other to put into operation a think tank on terrorism, on the ideologies and the regimes, groups and the movements that were utilizing terrorism. And it's evolved into a national security think tank in general. We don't do tax policy. We don't do health care. But we do worry about China. We worry about Turkey. We do worry about North Korea. We do worry, of course, about the Islamic Republic of Iran and other threats to America's national security. Well, but you've also had, I think, a remarkable focus in particular on Iran and the depth of your efforts and the number of places where you've actually profoundly affected public policy. I've always been fascinated by the quality of the people you bring around you. How were you able to recruit that kind of a really sophisticated, intelligent, and aggressive team? You know, it wasn't easy, especially beginning, because we didn't have much in the way of resources when we started out, and I didn't have much in the way of a background as a think tank entrepreneur. But we had a very specific mission, and people were attracted to it, and I hired the best and smartest people I could and people who are very motivated and very passionate about protecting the security of the United States and of our allies, and it built up from there. And I would say the other thing, just getting back to what you said, Newt, initially we were more focused on Sunni jihadism, Al-Qaeda obviously in particular, the Taliban and others, but it was clear very quickly that Shia jihadism was no less of a threat and that the Islamic Republic of Iran represented a regime that was pursuing Shia jihadism. And I particularly knew that because I guess 42 years ago right now, I was a foreign correspondent in Iran at the time the Islamic Republic was formed. I arrived in Iran just after the Ayatollah Khomeini came back from France. And I was working for Bill Moyer's journal at PBS. You'll remember that show. And I was working for CBS Radio News, and I was working for Hearst Newspapers, and I spent several months reporting from Iran. And I have to say, I did not agree with most of my journalistic colleagues that this was going to be a humane revolution, that this was going to be a democratic revolution, that this was all going in a good way, that Ayatollah Khomeini, as was said by our diplomats, was a Gandhi-like figure. I didn't see it that way at all, even though I was pretty wet behind the ears and young at that point, 42 years ago. I was right and they were wrong, but I had it in the back of my mind for a long time, going back to then, that we had a threat that we had to face from Iran, that when they were chanting death to America and death to Israel, they meant what they said. They just didn't have the capabilities at that point to achieve their goals, but that's, of course, why they're pursuing nuclear weapons right this very minute. Given how clear they have been, as you say, when you're in the Majlis, their parliament and you're collectively chanting death to America, as a historian, I'm inclined to believe them. Why do you think it is so hard for American diplomats to accept the depth of hostility 
that is clearly a key part of defining this regime. And it's not just there. This has puzzled me a long time. I'd love to know your thoughts on it. My basic take on it, it's a lack of imagination. And it's, in a way, wishful thinking. You know, I remember when I first went off to be a foreign correspondent, something like 45 years ago, I had an old pro who said to me, Cliff, there's two things you got to understand. One is that around the world, you're going to meet people just like us. And around the world, you're going to meet people who are not at all like us. And if you don't understand the second part of that equation, you think everybody wants peace, everyone wants stability, everybody wants a better life for their families. They, 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 it's hard to believe that what they want is your defeat, your annihilation, and their victory. And that is the case uh, with jihadis, with the Communist Party of China, China's rulers. We constantly search for these moderates who want what we want. And if you listen in recent days to Tony Blinken, the new Secretary of State, He is saying that Russia and China and Iran, they all want stability in Afghanistan, and therefore we should get together with them and see if we can work out a peace process. And I got to tell you, I'm pretty sure that China, Russia, and Iran do not want stability and peace. They want to see America fail in Afghanistan in as humiliating a way as possible, and any amount of bloodshed is good for that. And they seek victory. They do not seek peace. A peace process only makes sense if both parties actually want peace. If only one does, that party will make concessions and the other party will not. And I think we've seen examples of this many times and we don't seem to learn from it. It's amazing to me how you can go through the hostage crisis of 79-80, then go through the bombings in Lebanon, where it was clear that they were Iranian operatives who were killing the American Marines then go through all the subsequent years of sponsoring Hamas, sponsoring Hezbollah, having an attack on a Jewish synagogue in Buenos Aires. I mean, every time you turn around, when they have an opportunity, they have been horrible. And yet, for some reason, in the Obama years, they convinced themselves that the future to stability was to strengthen the forces of dictatorship and tyranny. When you think about the whole John Kerry as Secretary of State phase, how is it possible for somebody to be that consistently and that enthusiastically wrong? You know, I can understand in a way, Obama and Kerry thinking, look, if we just show respect to this regime in Iran, and if we give them lots of money, surely what they're going to want to prioritize is helping their own people to have better lives. And if we give them respect, that'll mitigate their hostility towards us. So let's give it a try. And they did hundreds of millions of dollars. If you remember Obama saying, I'm going to reach out my hand if you'll only unclench your fists. Maybe they're also the belief that there are moderates over there who really want to cooperate with us. Didn't happen. The money we gave them was used and is still being used today to fund terrorism, to fund the development of missiles, to fund an illicit nuclear weapons program. At this very moment, there are American hostages being held in Iran and Iran is, has been since 1984, the leading state sponsor of terrorism in the entire world. Recently, an Iranian diplomat in Europe was sentenced to prison because he was part of a plot to bomb dissidents in exile at a rally outside of Paris. People you and I know were due to be there. They got caught. Recently, a bomb went off in (laughs) India near the Israeli embassy. The Indian government says this was also the work of Iran. We have Houthi rebels backed by Iran in Yemen shooting missiles at Saudi oil facilities. 
all this is going on, you would think this current administration would have learned from the failures of the Obama administration and would be punishing the Iranian regime for all this. Instead, they are actively right now rewarding that regime and trying to reward the regime more. You clearly saw a Trump strategy which was based on strength and confrontation and did not give the benefit of the doubt to the leading supporter of terrorism on the planet. But it seems almost like we have reverted almost overnight back to the 2015 Obama strategy. I fear that is the case. A lot of the same people are now in high offices. I hope they've learned, but I'm not sure they have. Again, at a time when Americans are being held hostage, a time when Americans are being attacked, a contractor was recently killed by a militia backed by the Islamic Republic of Iran. We've had dozens and dozens of attacks against Americans in Iraq over the past few years by Iranian-backed militias. Despite all this, what's going on? Well, the International Monetary Fund is going to give $5 billion to the Iranian regime at a time when they're Foreign reserves only amount to 10 billion. They're really under great strain, and the U.S. does not appear to be opposing it. And there are reports that additional billions are going to come from South Korea, Iraq, and Oman in unfrozen funds unless the U.S. stops that, which the U.S. can, but I'm not sure they want to. The thing is, you're exactly right. The only way that Obama did get the regime in Tehran to come to the table was by using pressure, not by using sweet talk. And once the pressure was lifted, and that began in 2013 after the interim agreement, we never got another concession out of the Iranian regime. We gave, the U.S. gave, concession after concession after concession until 2015, at which point you had the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the Iran deal, which is a very good deal for the mullahs who rule Iran, a terrible deal for us. It does not, as advertised, stop that regime from getting nuclear weapons. It just asks them to take a slightly patient pathway. And the various restrictions all sunset. One restriction sunsetted back in October. That's on the regime buying conventional weapons, particularly from China and from Russia. The Trump administration said, you do that, we'll sanction you. This administration is not saying that. So they will be able to buy these conventional weapons. This is just one of the sunsets that we have to look forward to. It's a very bad deal. The idea that the Biden administration should want to just get back into that deal, it actually just makes no sense. At a time when the regime is violating the deal, which it has maintained, even though we withdrew it, with the Europeans, and is violating the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, it's a treaty, it has obligations, it has been violating them for years. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. 
If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment with a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. From the Iranian standpoint, it seems to me that hanging tough is working. That they have no incentives to shift gears and every incentive to believe that if they will just sort of hold tough, that Biden will inch by inch give them more stuff, trying to find some magic key to unlock that would lead to a fruitful and productive relationship. I mean, do you get that same feeling that They've grown actually more intransigent in the last month and sort of expecting the Biden administration to bid against itself. I think that's exactly right. Their chief negotiator is very clever, very experienced. Shavad Zarif, who is their foreign minister, as you may know, he's silver tongue, speaks very fluent English, lived in the United States for a long time, never made any friends when he was here. At a certain point, he recognized that Obama and John Kerry had to have a deal, and he didn't. And that's a great position to be in as a negotiator. So he was able to press all his advantages and get a deal that was indeed tremendously good for the regime because it blocked them from doing nothing. At most, it delayed. Plus, they get hundreds of billions of dollars. How can you not like that? I think they believe now, again, that the Biden administration really wants to get back into the deal, thinks it's vital and will make more and more concessions and that they don't have to make concessions for that. And of course, they're maintaining that the Biden administration has broken international law by withdrawing from the joint comprehensive mm. plan of action. That is not true, but they're convincing people around the world that it is. This was not a treaty. It was never signed. It never had 
the support of Congress. It never had a support of a majority of the members of Congress or the U.S. public. It is an executive agreement. Obama went into it on his own authority. Trump pulled out on his own authority. The U.N. may have endorsed it, but the U.N. does not make laws. Globalists want the U.N. to be able to make these kinds of laws for America and the world. Actually, that's not the case now. Hopefully, it never will be. Last thing we want is an organization like the U.N. making laws for Americans, especially laws that go against the U.S. Constitution. If you could design your ideal policy, what would it be? So it would be what you alluded to before. It would be Reagan-esque. It would be peace through strength. We know that maximum pressure is the only thing that has ever gotten concessions out of the regime in Tehran. So we would start with maximum pressure. The Trump administration did apply maximum pressure, but only had a certain period of time in which to do it. And it was working. I would continue to do it. I would make it very clear to the Mullahs that you've got a choice here. Your economy can implode and you will lose your power or you can make serious concessions. So we know that A, you do not get nuclear weapons. You're not to have them. You do not have the ability to make nuclear weapons because if you have nuclear weapons and the ability to make nuclear weapons, well, I don't blame the Saudis and the Turks and others will as well. And then we have an arms race and our nuclear arms will get loose and be used, which is not what we want. I would also say, as in the Trump administration, there are other things you have to do. You cannot be the leading state sponsor in terrorism and have a good relationship with us. And we're going to allow you to be in a commercial and other good relations with America and other nations of the free world. You cannot hold hostages. You cannot get ransom for hostages. Either you become a good actor or we do everything we can to implode your economy. I think we know that the people of Iran, after more than 40 years under an Islamist government, where the most radical members of the clerisy are the ruling class, they're fed up with that and would like something else with more rights and more freedoms and more representation. So I would push as hard as I can. I would isolate them as much as I can. I would isolate their economy as much as I can until we get a decent regime there. Because the alternative is that we simply accept the idea that terrorist sponsors nations should be walking the halls of the UN, making demands, doing business with us as if that's perfectly natural, and it is not. Given the capacity of dictatorships to survive, I I look at Cuba, I look at Venezuela, North Korea. I mean, realistically, you can put enough pressure on them to make them uncomfortable, but can you really put enough pressure on Iran to make it susceptible to regime change? Well, I think you can. I think the alternative you don't want, which is to normalize these regimes. If you had a neighbor who was beating up his wife and children, who was coming over to your house and stealing your things, who you know is involved in illicit activities, would you invite them to dinner? Would you do business with them? Would you go on summer vacation with them? I don't think so. I think you would stay at arm's length. The free countries of the world, certainly the United States, should at the very least stay at arm's length from the despicable and tyrannical regimes of the world. And by the way, you had Senator Tom Cotton and Representative Mike Gallagher They both formulated resolutions in the Senate and the House, respectively, saying absolutely no sanctions or relief for this regime in Tehran, so long as it's holding Americans hostage and sponsoring terrorism in various countries around the world. We just are not going to do business with these guys. If that only means that they're poor and weaker, that's something. All the time that Trump was not giving, not allowing them to participate in the world economy and not giving them money and not letting them sell their oil at the going rates, that was a good thing because at least they had less money to give to Hamas, to Hezbollah, to Houthi rebels, to use for terrorism, to use for missile development, 
missiles that can carry nuclear weapons, at least put more strain on them. We don't want to fund and subsidize their activities that we would consider to be nefarious and malign. In that kind of context, if you have a Biden administration moving towards appeasement, which is what it is, what do you think the options are for Israel faced with the genuine danger that the U.S. will tolerate a nuclear-armed Iran? Well, Israel has, for a long time, had several principles. One is that Israel will defend itself, not rely on anybody to defend it. Israel will be disappointed if the Biden approach to Tehran is one of appeasement, as you say. Appeasement generally does not succeed in its efforts. They will be looking at what their military, including cyber capabilities, are and how they can at least delay, if not destroy, nuclear weapons capabilities in the Islamic Republic of Iran. A fair way towards that in the past, as you know, including, we believe, the assassination of the leading military nuclear weapons scientist in the country, a very interesting and elaborate operation. We don't know, you and I, all their military capabilities. They play those cards close to the best. I know they don't have the abilities that the U.S. has if the U.S. wanted to knock out all nuclear weapons capabilities. But the Israelis, as you know, they like to surprise their enemies and surprise their friends, and they may want to go ahead because they will protect their population from the genocide that is advocated and incited by the regime in Tehran on an almost daily basis. Just this week, the regime was talking about pulverizing Tel Aviv and Haifa. And by the way, Haifa is a city of mixed Arab Jewish, from nowhere else in the world, Arabs and Jews get along quite as well as they do in Haifa. They live side by side, they peacefully coexist, but that doesn't matter a bit to the regime there. So the Israelis, are going to be looking at their options. The Israelis are and certainly under Netanyahu have never been trigger happy, never fast to go ahead, but at a certain point they may feel that they have to act unilaterally and, and I think will do so if they think their existence is in danger because the Islamic Republic of Iran represents an existential threat to Israel, as it does, by the way, to the Saudis, to the Bahrainis, to the Emiratis, which is a big part of the reason they are all coming together in an alliance now. Also, an alliance that the Trump administration understood the necessity for and was able to facilitate. I don't know what the Israelis will do. I think that they will not sit quiet and wait for themselves to be destroyed. Yeah, I mean, it does seem to me this is the greatest existential threat since the Holocaust. Yes. And I think the Israelis know very well the Jewish people cannot have two Holocausts within less than a century and possibly survive. If we have to, we'll do what right. we have to defend ourselves. And if they go down, they'll go down fighting rather than go down the way they did during the Holocaust. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Do you think the psychological momentum inside the Biden team is so great that they're almost like on a railroad track where they can't get off? I think it's a serious possibility. It's sort of it's disappointing to me because Jake Sullivan, who's the national security advisor, and Tony Lincoln, who's the secretary of state, strike me in general as smart and sober guys. And some of the people they've picked to assist them, I think, are unrealistically perhaps sympathetic towards the regime in Iran, you know, taking the view that, again, I think was in a way defensible back in the Obama administration, but it's proved to be wrong, which is these guys, they just want some respect. They just want a little equity. They just want us to recognize their power. You remember Obama said, you know, that the regime in Tehran should share the neighborhood with the Saudis. Oh, yeah, this is like Mr. Rogers. We all share the neighborhood. This will be fine. They don't want to share the neighborhood. This regime, they don't want peace, they don't want stability, they want hegemony in the Middle East, they want to become a world power. They are Islamists and jihadists, which means no less than the Islamic State, no less than Al-Qaeda, do they want the re-establishment of Islamic supremacy in the world, recalling very well, as you do, that for a thousand years, really, the various Islamic empires dominated most of the civilized world. Well, given those realities, What should the Republicans in Congress be doing? They should be doing what Tom Cotton is doing and what Mike Gallagher is doing and others and making it very clear that we are not going to go along with the funding, with the subsidizing of the leading terrorist regime. We are not going to help support the missile program and the nuclear weapons program. We are going to do everything we can to block it. We have sanctions in place that have come in place over years and years. These are sanctions, not just for the nuclear weapons program, but for terrorism. We're going to ask our Democratic colleagues, we're going to ask the administration, you know the terrorism continues. Are you really going to lift those sanctions that are there because this is a terrorist regime and ignore the fact that it's going on? Are you really going to fund this regime and make it as hard as possible to do that? 
already there are many companies around there that have and this is going on since John Kerry was out there trying to drum up business for the Islamic Republic, who said, well, we don't want to invest in Iran at this point because it could be a Republican majority again, it could be a Republican president again, we put our money in there, we're going to get whipsawed, we'll just wait. It's called the sanctions wall of deterrence. It's just not a safe place to be, and businesses may want to consider, is it a good idea to be doing close business, opening offices, with a terrorist regime. Now, again, if you have an administration that says we're no longer bothered by terrorism, we're no longer bothered by hostage holding, even if it's Americans, we're no longer bothered by any of this, we're just going to get back in bed with this regime. That may encourage businesses to do it, but they may not. But the Republicans in Congress should force where say, and going back into lifting sanctions as an incentive, we will oppose, and we hope some of our Democratic colleagues will oppose it with us. And if there is to be a new nuclear arms deal or reversion to the JCPOA, it should be submitted as a treaty. Clearly, it is usually consequential. It's not enough for the president to say, I like it, and the UN General Assembly or the UN Security Council likes it. Americans can go pound sand. That's not enough. So again, peace through strength and hold firm against the administration if its desires are to fund and subsidize a terrorist regime and allow them to take a patient pathway to the acquisition of nuclear weapons and missiles that can deliver them anywhere on earth. It strikes me that the longer we've talked, the greater their capacity has become to do just what you said. This is a dictatorship which in the not too distant future will be able to directly threaten Paris, London, and New York. Given their track record, there's this perennial argument about deterrence and the idea that you don't want to commit suicide, therefore you won't do anything. On the other hand, this is a regime which at one point had a leader who would have, in fact, lethally accepted the swap of major cities in Iran in return for Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, New York. I think other than the North Koreans who are sufficiently unknowable that we can't actually calculate seems to me that of all the other dictatorships around the planet, this is the most dangerous. I think that's true. And look, it would be useful for this administration to seriously pursue peace through strength. That would mean deterrence. That would mean letting the Iranian regime know that you cannot rule out the possibility that we will send bombers over to take out the facilities. We know where they are. They'll take a few weeks, but we'll do them. doesn't mean boots on the ground. It just means we're going to have a lot of rubble shaking. They should at least think that's a possibility. They didn't at all with Obama. I doubt they do it by... I noticed that I think today they had a B-52 going into the region. Now, I'm actually puzzled by that. You know more about this than I do. But I don't see one strategic bomber other than a symbol. I don't see it as a practical threat of any kind. Am I missing something? In terms of the B-52 going over the region, I think that's message sending. It was a company of Israeli. It's, it's similar to what was done in Syria, where one of the proxy militias of Iran got hit. I don't know how many people actually got killed, but it said, well, you can't rule this out under a Biden administration, which is good. I, I commend them for doing yes. that. I commend them for sending these messages. I don't know that Jarif and Supreme Leader Khamenei don't say, ah, they're bluffing, don't worry about it. But the more you do like that, the more they have to calculate and say, how much are we going to provoke them? And again, if you couple that with economic pressure, you weaken them, and that's the best you can hope for.
I mean, I really think in that sense that Biden has been much more aggressive than I expect him to be in the Middle East and more willing to use force. And hopefully that will continue. I'd like to see that continue. It's very important that he doesn't send the message that force is off the table. We don't have the guts to do that. So the House on occasion, when you look back to 2017, they had a 419 to 3 vote in favor of sanctions. That's a pretty remarkable majority, given the normal splits right now in the Congress. Do you think that there is a solid majority in both the House and Senate for doing what it takes to respond if the Iranians act militaristically? Solid majority, I don't know. I do think there's a recognition in Congress that this is a terrorist regime, and that's going to make it difficult for President Biden to reward the regime at this point, though he apparently seems to be trying, thinking that's an incentive. In terms of the use of military force, I think it's kind of unknowable. We have a new Secretary of Defense. I'm not quite sure how he sees all this. I would imagine that the Pentagon has contingency plans on the shelf for many different things. It may depend on how provocative the regime actually is. And there's a lot we don't know, of course, about Biden as president. One last thing I want to ask you about is, how do you see the role of the Chinese evolving in what's happening in Iran? Troublesome. I think that Xi Jinping, China's ruler with more power than any Chinese ruler since Mao Zedong, thinks it's always good when America is distracted and has various problems and annoyances in other parts of the world, because then they can do less about what we're doing. The People's Republic of China has grand ambitions. They have violated international law in the most basic way in Hong Kong. That was a treaty obligation. They had two systems. Now, Hong Kong has no more autonomy than does Shanghai or Beijing or anywhere else. They're threatening Taiwan. The more America is tied down other places, the less America can help Taiwan defend itself. They are aggressively taking over the UN and various international organizations because they want a new world order dominated by them and by other totalitarians with whom they are very much in league. You know what they're doing to the Uyghurs. It's been called even by the Biden administration genocide, and yet they sit now on the UN Human Rights Council proudly as a defender of human rights. China is a problem. I don't know that China wants death to America, but it wants a diminished America that's a market for its goods and not much else. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly the greatest competitor we have, just in terms of sheer capability. Listen, I want to thank you because I do think what you're doing and what your organization does is extraordinarily important. I mean, the Foundation for the Defense of Democracy, whether it's with China or it's with Iran or it's with Russia or in Syria, I mean, you've very consistently been doing solid work and it's kind of amazing. Thank you, Newt. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's been a pleasure to know you for all these many years and learn from you over all these years and I continue to do so. So thank you. Thank you to my guest, Cliff May. You can read more about the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies and the Iran deal on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review 
so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s, dance away with hip-hop beats, and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.